0: When I was a little guy uh, growing up in Dayton, Ohio, what our family used to do every summer was spend the whole summer at the pool. I don't know if you all did this, but we would be there every day. We would get there early in the morning. Mom would pack a lunch. We would go to the pool, and we would just hang out all day. I think it was mom's way of surviving Uh, The summer and my friends and I would gather around we'd swim and then there was always the break where the lifeguard made it It was only adult swim you had to break and then you had to wait a half hour after you ate So you wouldn't eat all day long because you wanted to swim swimming was more important than nourishing your body All of these things were going on in Ben's mind as a little boy But in the little pool shack, there was bathrooms on either side. There was a little snack shack in the middle. And if mom would give me a dollar, I would go out and get a slushie, and it would be amazing. Uh, But in there, there were two video games. One of them was Pac-Man, and one of them was a baseball game. I can't remember the name of the baseball game, but I do remember this. One of my friends and I discovered that if you turned the front console just a little bit, you could open it up and you could press the reset button on the game, which meant you didn't have to have quarters for it. This was the great, when you are 11 years old and you are a little boy who's living your summer at the pool, this is the greatest discovery that you can possibly find, is that the video game is free. And so we would not tell anybody. We would never do it when anybody was around. We would always sneak and figure out how to reset the game. But when you're that age, the greatest goal was to get your name on the board. Remember this? You would put your initials. Uh, I'm I'm lucky to have a three-letter name. So it was B-E-N, number one on the scoring list for the baseball game at the swimming pool all summer. And all the kids thought I was amazing at the game when actually what I actually had was the power to cheat the game by pressing the reset button. Uh, John Stallsmith, the pastor of our Snellville campus, was talking on a campus pastor meeting this week with us and said, I really believe that this season for us is this reset moment for God. It's this moment where God is pressing the button to slow things down and to help us reset, to recalibrate our minds, to rethink who we are, to rethink who we've become, to rethink how has the culture impacted who we are and how, has, uh, how have our minds been taken captive by things that it don't, doesn't need to be taken captive by? How are we living into scripts that were never designed for us and how do we reset and reconfigure who we are as the people of God in this season. It's as if God is pressing the reset button. And every time you press that reset button, I I don't know if you have this moment on your computer, there's an occasional time where my computer will, uh, will freeze up. And you have to go and you have to hit restart. And when you hit restart, there's that, I don't know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, which seems like an eternity where the computer screen goes black and everything is quiet for a mo- for a moment and then it pops back to life and in that moment everything restarts and everything is working and so the question that i've been wrestling with in this season is Is in this reset moment, as everything goes dark for a while, as we retreat to our homes, as we spend time in quarantine, as we stay six feet apart, and as the economy reopens, and as we get back to normal, whatever normal is going to be as we move forward, what's going to change in the restart? And what's going to be better What are we going to take that is really transformative about this season? And how do we become the people of God who are transformed by our restart? In 587 BC, before Christ, uh, the people of God had a dramatic restart. Uh, They had become the nation of Israel, a powerful nation built in Jerusalem where they had built the temple. It was the dwelling place of God. It was the place where they believed God lived. They believed that they were the chosen people of God who had God's favor, and they had built an an amazing nation, an incredibly powerful nation built on military strength, built on uh, the capacity to... um, innovate and create technology. All of these things were happening, and then suddenly the Babylonian Empire attacked. And in 587 BC, Jerusalem was assaulted, Uh, it was disbanded, and it was destroyed. The life as the people of God knew it dramatically changed in one day. The temple was gone, The city was gone. Their way of life, their traditions, their patterns, their rules were all gone. And the people were pulled from their homes in Jerusalem and they were taken to Babylon. This foreign place, this new place, the foundations had been shaken and everything that was normal was suddenly upturned and there was this incredible upheaval and the people of God had to decide who are we when everything has been shaken. Psalms 11.3 says, When the foundations are destroyed, are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And all of these questions began to arise for the people of God. The Old Testament is filled with this. In fact, the majority of the Old Testament is built out of this season of exile. It's out of this season where they're telling stories of exile. Who are the people of God when the temple is destroyed? Who did this? Did God do it? Did man do it? Where is God in this? What's happening? What does faithfulness look like in this season? Who are we without the temple and without our temple practices? And the task of the prophets of that time, the task of the leaders of the nation of Israel, became to interpret for the people of God their times. They wanted to help the people of God lament what was lost and grieve over what's been lost in this season, but also celebrate in the hope of what God is doing in the middle of the restart. The hope was to get them to reimagine what could be and what could be next, what God might be up to in the midst of this, to help them discern the times, to help them walk through the crisis. And the Old Testament is extensively about this season of exile. And so we're starting a new series today about stories of exile. Who are we when everything is shaken? Who are we when the temple practices are changed? Who are we when everything rapidly changed? And God's people in that time discovered that in this time of upheaval, in this time of shaking, in this time where everything was different, there was both a challenge and an opportunity. Last week on Easter Sunday, we asked the question, which I think is the pivotal question for the people of God in this season, for the people of Grace Marietta in this season, which is, who are we going to be when we walk out of our quarantined rooms? What needs to die in us in this season so that we're transformed when we leave these spaces? What needs to come to life in us in this season? How will we be different? How will we practice our faith differently? How will we love each other differently? How is our theology being shaped by the crisis that we're entering in? And I would suggest to you that 587 BC seems very similar in many ways to 2020 AD. And there were two tasks in the midst of the shaking that was happening. It was how do we let go of the old? How do we relinquish things that we have held on to that maybe don't matter and aren't as significant? And how do we receive from God what is new? And I think we find ourselves in that same place today. We're asking the same questions that the people of God asked in the exile. We're discerning the times in the way the people of God were discerning the times in the exile. We're wondering, where is God in this? What is God doing? Who did this, God or man? Who are we when we can't go to church and can't be the gathered church on Sunday? And does our faith collapse when we have to watch a sermon on on video and we have to record sermons to empty rooms like I'm doing right now? And God in in a small way is ending our known world and he's inviting us into a new world he has pressed the reset button and the question is who are we going to become in the middle of the reset will we come back stronger or will this shake us to the core and will we never be the same the book of isaiah we see this season of church history Uh, transformed in a radical way. Isaiah chapters 1 through 39 is all about a prophetic critique of the empire. It's a prophetic critique of God's people in this time. It is the prophet Isaiah saying to them, This is not the way God intended things to be. Things are going to change. There is going to be a shaking. There is going to be a reset. Uh, There is going to be a moment where you are going to... Something's going to happen. The, the people of God had lost track who, of who they were and there was this warning of this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. So chapters 1 through 39 is all a warning and then, then suddenly everything turns. Theologians actually say they call it second Isaiah uh, because what happens is the tone and the tenor of the writing changes dramatically and it moves from warnings to promises it moves from language about what's going to happen to hope-filled, poetic language about what God is doing in the crisis. Uh, Isaiah 40, verses three through five says this. It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. And uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places will become a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hear the poetic language in there. It's talking about deserts. It's talking about valleys. It's talking about mountains. It's talking about plains. The writer uses this poetic language, these poetic metaphors to describe what God is doing. And there are seasons in the life of any culture where we need our artists and our creatives and our poets to interpret what life is. Poetry helps us reread life. It helps us interpret life through the view of art and beauty. And this is the context. The people of God had been taken to Babylon. In Babylon, the Babylonian goal was only assimilation. They wanted the people of God to lose their distinct identity as the people of God, and they wanted them to become like the Babylonians. And so the people of God who had been pulled from their homes had this battle going on for their minds, this battle of who are we going to become in this season? Are we going to just assimilate and become just like everyone else in culture, or are we going to continue to be the distinct people of God? So we see Daniel fighting the dietary rules of the time. We, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow at the idols of their culture. We see this um, resistance to becoming like the rest of the world and this distinct identity that they are going to be different even in the middle of, of a new culture. This is, it, there's, there's so many interesting parallels between this and, and where we find ourselves in America right now because American culture is so similar to Babylonian culture. We live in the middle of an empire that carries different values than the kingdom of God. We live in the middle of a world that bows to the idols of consumerism, individualism, and power over and over and over again, and we are tempted to bow to those same idols. We live in a world where the culture wants to assimilate us to a way that is different and distinct from the way of Jesus and the way of God, and every single day there is a battle for our minds. This week alone, I've just been... um, reflecting on the battle that's going on in my mind right now. Uh, I've been watching social media and listening to the language of pastors and leaders and, and, and people from around the world, and it saddens me to know that so many of us are far more comfortable in the language of Fox News and CNN than we are in the language of Scripture. That so many of us have been informed not by the God of heaven, but by entertainment news. Uh, and 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 we don't understand that what's happening in these places is a battle for our mind. There is a battle that's going to say uh, tell us you can live in fear, and it feels like there's two different sides of fear right now. We've politicized a pandemic. One side of fear says we're afraid of dying, we're afraid of being sick, we're afraid uh, of of stepping into a virus, and and what happens when everyone gets sick. The other side of fear is the fear of the economy. What if the economy collapses? What if we lose all our money? What if the financial Institutions fall. All of these things are battles for the mind, and there are two different sides and segments that are saying, Fear this, fear this, fear this, and all of the time there is a battle for our mind. Second Isaiah paints a picture of home. It says to take captive your thoughts. It says that we download the words of heaven and we lean on the poetic sense of the word of God that this world is not our home. Even Jesus in John 17 said to his disciples, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And so the question that we ask is, is are we assimilating our thinking? Are we losing the battle for our minds in this season? Or are we taking captive our thoughts? Are we thinking with the thoughts of heaven? Are we giving ourselves over to fear, or are we believing in the hope of what Christ tells us? Are we trusting in the God of power and abundance, or are we falling to the lie of scarcity? So there's two keys that come out of the exile. The first is that the poetry of the exile gives us an imagination for what will be. We, we love the phrase around Grace Marietta, we are awakening kingdom dreams. And when we awaken kingdom dreams, what we do is we see the future with the thoughts of heaven. We see the future the way that God sees it. We interpret our times through the language of heaven and through the language of Scripture. And what we need when we're in exile is we need an imagination. We need dreams. And this poetry was written to people who were hurting to give them a new imagination. Jesus taught in parables to give people a new imagination of what could be. One of the greatest um, examples of this in our culture right now uh, is is the, the preaching of Martin Luther King Jr. The I Have a Dream speech is the most famous sermon that's ever been preached on the ground of America. And all of it was an imaginative sermon. It was given with a holy imagination of what will be in the future. I have a dream that one day... It's all about the future of what could be, of what will be, of what God is doing. It's painting a holy imagination for God's people. Walter Brueggemann says this, The central task of ministry is the formation of a community to an alternative, liberated imagination that has the courage and freedom to act in a different vision and in a different perspective, perception of reality. The people of God are the people who have the imagination of what God is doing in the future what dreams do you have now of what's going to happen when the restart is over what 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 imagination do you have for revival what hopes do you have of how the world is going to be transformed and changed when we leave this room what will we relinquish in the season And what will we receive? What will we take from culture and say, this is good? And what will we reject and say, I reject that thinking because that thinking isn't the mind of Christ. It's the mind of culture. Secondly, the poetry of the exile teaches us of the power of God to transform us in any season. What we need in exile is the power of God. What we need to trust in is that God is not absent God is not diminished, God is not small, God has not forgotten us, God has not run from us, God has not given up on us. Wait for it, because it's going to be beautiful. This is the language of the exile. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it wait for it. I know you're hurting right now in your homes. I know it's hard to stay quarantined. I know you're worried about being sick, or you're worried about the economy. I know you're worried about germs, or you're worried uh, uh, about your bank account. But in the midst of these, keep hoping, keep believing, keep trusting that God is shaking us for a season, but good things are coming. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, in the middle of the exile, the poetic language says, for my thoughts are not your Your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How do we get in touch with the thoughts of God in this season? How do we win the battle for our minds in these moments when everything is shaken, when the reset button has been pressed, when the temple has been destroyed? The people of God believed that the the temple was the dwelling place of God. It's where His presence rested. When all of these things are shaken, we need to be reminded that God is not done. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't lost control. He's not punishing us. He's not powerless. He hasn't forgotten us. He is not absent. I would suggest that what God is doing right now is he is awakening us. He's awakening us. He's awakening us to new possibilities for the future. He's awakening us to who the church really should be in the midst of all of these things. He's awakening us for something new. He's doing something new. Isaiah 43, verse 19 says, Behold, and you could say, Behold, in the middle of the exile. Behold, in a quarantined room. Behold, even in Babylon, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forward. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. I will bring rivers into the desert? What's the new thing that God is doing in your life right now? What's the new invitation that He's inviting you into? Can you perceive it? Can you see it? The people of God are the people of God who see hope in the middle of tough circumstances, who see God in the stories of exile. This week, we we put a new banner out in front of the church, uh, and the new banner just simply says this, Hope is not canceled. Hope is not canceled. That is our anthem for this season. Let's be the people of God who see the new things that God is doing. Let's be the people who eagerly anticipate the the sons and daughters of God to be revealed in this season. Let's look for opportunities not to run but to, to serve and to love, Isaiah 58, verse, verses 11 through 12, I think this is the promise for us. This is the prophetic word I want to give you today. I feel like today's sermons much more of a history lesson than a word. But if there is a word in here, here's the word, Isaiah 58, 11 through 12. It says, the Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your desires in scorched places. He will make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden like springs of water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, not just our generation, but the next generation, and you shall be called the repairers of the breach, the restorers of the streets to dwell in. What if our perspective, what if the mind of heaven was, uh, was, was Isaiah 58 verse 12? The ancient ruins are going to be rebuilt. The temples that have been destroyed are going to be rebuilt. The financial institutions that are falling are going to be rebuilt. The sickness that has come is going to be rebuilt. And we will be the ones who raise up a new thing so that the next generation can experience a revival, so that they can experience a new world, so that the reset button allows their name to be at the top of the list because we're building the foundations. We're repairing the breach. We're restoring the streets to dwell on. And over the coming weeks, I just want you to know there is a battle that is going on right now for your mind. And the way that we combat that is with the Word of God. The way we combat that is with the Spirit of God dwelling in us and revealing what He's doing. And sometimes we need prophetic language for that. I want to encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 40 through chapter 66. I want you to read the hope-filled imagination for the people of God in exile, and I want you to cling to it and hold on to it. Over the coming weeks, we're really passionate about not just creating a service for you to watch, but creating a dialogue for you in your home. So if you're watching this with your family, uh, we're going to wrap up the service. There's an amazing video that's going to come on next. I want you to worship into that, lean into that, reflect onto that. Kadim is going to come. He's going to wrap up for us. And then there's going to be some questions that are going to flash on the screen. And if you're watching this with family, I want you just to take 10 or 15 minutes and talk about dialogue about those questions. Uh, if you're watching this alone, call somebody. And say, hey, I just watched my church service. I want to reflect on this together. Do a watch party with a bunch of friends and watch together uh, and, and, and reflect over these questions. But spend some time talking about these questions together. Spend some time in conversation together. And spend some time praying that we will win the battle for our minds in this season. That we will not fall to fear, but we will believe in faith. That we will trust that God is doing a new thing and that we will become the rebuilders of the walls that are broken and the rebuilders of the new community. We love you guys. Hope is not canceled. So hold on to that.